0: Well, folks, there is a saying that says, if you make, want to make God laugh, just do what? Just tell him your plans, right? Tell him your plans. Uh, meaning that a lot of time, a lot of the times, uh, things don't go according to our plans. Uh, that can be funny sometimes. I remember, um, oh my gosh, 20 years ago, I was at a youth retreat with teenagers and if you 've been to a youth retreat before, you know that at the end of the the weekend there's a there's a climactic worship experience and and that's what we had big auditorium, um, big speaker, climactic experience, great worship. At the end of the message, the students were um, invited to just have a, a moment of silence and think of the sins that they wanted to repent from, to turn away from, and to turn over to God. And, and the message talked about forgiveness in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and, and that because Jesus has uh, died for us and, and has, has been risen for us, our sins are no more. And the students were invited to write down on a sheet of paper um, the sins they wanted to confess. And then they had buckets up at the front of the worship area with, it, with just a small little fire in each one, and, and the kids could come in, and they could put that little piece of paper in that, in that bucket, and it you know would burn up, and just the sign that um, their sins were no more. And just a moving worship experience, and seeing the kids walk up to these buckets and put their, their sheets of paper in it, just really moving until the fire alarm started going off. <laughs> Because of all the smoke and gosh, you, you didn't think of that. <laughs> um, so I felt really bad for the for the worship uh, leaders because uh, it yeah it really ruined the moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, today we're we're looking at at this question: What do you do when life doesn't go according to your plans? And if we were to take a poll, has there been a, a Time in your life when something did not go according to your plans. You know, I think we'd get 100% um, participation on that one. Uh, what do you do when your life doesn't go according to your plans? Um, it can be funny. Sometimes looking back, like at that worship experience, sometimes it can feel like your world is falling apart. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, especially when it's a dark and scary time that you are going through when plans seem to be unraveling. I want you to, to turn in your, your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. And if you're going to use one of our pew Bibles, uh, look in the seats ahead of you, look around there, you find a Bible. Um, it should be on page uh, 19. And if you've been going to church for a while, this story will be familiar to you. It's when God tells uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to kind of walk us through this a bit. Uh, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. God is really specific on the mountain that God wanted Abraham to to go to. And I want you to remember the name Moriah because it's a significant name. It's not found in the Bible too often, but it's a significant name in the the Scriptures. This is one of the more disturbing stories in the Bible. Um, Verse 1 indicates that God is taking Abraham down this harrowing journey as a test. And we read this and we think, that's a pretty cruel test. That's not a good test, God. Give me another test. That's a lousy one. Pretty cruel. Um, it's interesting as we go through this story, you'll see that it doesn't give us really an indication on Abraham's emotions during this test. Um. As a, as a parent, I can imagine that he would be pretty wrecked inside as he's going through this. Perhaps Abraham didn't really believe that God was going to in have him go all the way through it. Maybe, maybe. And there may be some hints along the way that Abraham thought that God was going to provide some out throughout this ordeal. On the other hand, it's pretty reasonable for Abraham to have believed that God really meant it. Back in those ancient times, child sacrifice actually was was fairly common. God, later on, through the Israelite people, hundreds of years later, when He gave them the Ten Commandments and the Law, He there were He He said that child sacrifice was was an abomination. Don't do it. It's pro, prohibited um, for the Israelite people. But back in Abraham's day, before the Law was given by God. Um, there were many nations around Abraham that, that uh, participated in child sacrifice. Why was that? Well, that was seen as the ultimate display of devotion to the gods. If you were trying to, to merit, to earn the favor of the gods, to get on the, the good side of the gods... You could go to the extreme measure to sacrifice a child just to show how devoted you really were as a person. This is ancient thought, pagan thought of these other nations that were surrounding um, Abraham and where the Israelites would, would settle in the land of Canaan. So Abraham may really have thought, okay, God wants me to do this. Um, we don't know the anguish that Abraham may have been in. Let's look at verse 3, what happens next. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Abraham didn't wait around. He he obeyed God. And he took with him his two servants and his son Isaac. And when when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham Looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So we don't know Abraham's frame of mind, but I, I do want us to know something from verse 5. Um, he says this in the plural form. Look at this, verse 5. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So did he think that God was going to give him that out in the end? that he would not let Abraham go through with it, maybe. Or maybe he was just protecting his son from what might come next, because that's what good parents do. We try to protect our children, don't we? Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son, Isaac, and Abraham himself carried the fire and the knife. So here's this tender-hearted little scene. The servants are staying back. It's just Abraham and Isaac, his son, walking alone now. Why is that? Maybe it's because Abraham knows, if if I have to go through this, I, I don't want anyone else to be around. I can't bear it. Isaac carried the wood, showing that he's old enough now to carry some load. Abraham carried the fire, the knife. The end of verse 6 says, As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And there's so much to wonder about in this story, isn't there? So is this where Isaac starts noticing something? He's sensing something, maybe his Father is just, just not not his normal self. He's wondering what is going on. Where's the where's the burnt offering, Father? Abraham then gave Isaac this cryptic answer. Look at verse eight. Abraham answered, "God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And this is it. This is the moment of truth. This is the moment of faith. Abraham wasn't just going through the motions, we see. As the Bible states in the very next verse, look, verse 10 Then he reached out his hand and took the knife, not to go through the motions, it says, but to slay his son. Now, up to this point, this story is pretty agonizing, isn't it? It's pretty agonizing. And the next verse, verse 11, that's when we find out that God steps in and does save the day. He he provides that out. That's verse 11. And when I read through this story, I always want to jump ahead of verse 11. <laughs> because verse 11, you know, to be honest, it kind of tells us, oh, yeah, we can we can love God. God, it's safe to love God. We can trust God because there's verse 11. You know, you read through the story, it's like, oh, what, what are you doing, God? You surely wouldn't ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Oh, yeah, verse 11. Oh, I can I can breathe again. I rush on to verse 11 so I can reassure myself. But here's the deal, folks. We know this well, that there are times in our life when there isn't a verse 11 immediately to follow a, a, a difficult time or a time of tragedy where it doesn't appear that God steps in to save the day. There are times when there's not a verse 11. I think of um, an aunt of mine um, who died a few years ago. Her name was Vicki, and she and my uncle got married, second marriage for both of them, um, in the early 1990s. They both had difficult first marriages, marriages and they found one another, and, um, and they were really in love, and it was beautiful. And then came a difficult cancer diagnosis for my uncle, and he lived for a couple more years, but ultimately um, died from cancer. And then a few years after that, Vicki had one son, and he was off at college. And one night he was driving late at night, got into an accident, and he was killed in that accident. And, And talk about having your plans dashed. Sometimes it doesn't seem, where's that verse 11, God? And sometimes it just doesn't seem, to be there. And we know that cancer happens. We know that accidents happen. We know that shootings happen. We know. We know. This is just the world we live in. There are times when God takes things in the direction that we want them to go, and there are times when God move things, moves things in, in an opposite way from our plans. And when things go in that opposite direction, there can be this crisis of faith and crisis of obedience. So there's two, two questions that I think this story just makes us ask. And, and here they are, two critical questions. One, can you trust God when your life doesn't go according to your plans? Can you trust God when things are seeming out of control, going in a way that you don't want them to go? And I wonder if Abraham was was telling himself with every step on that crazy, awful journey, those three days he was walking with Isaac, if he was just telling himself, keep believing, keep believing, keep having faith, God is trustworthy, keep going, just one more step, trust in God, trust in God. I wonder if Abraham was telling himself that with every step. Keep planting your hope in God. So that's the first question, can you trust God? And two, can you obey God when that will mean a different path than the one that you want to go down? When you know, okay, me obeying God at this moment is going to be a great sacrifice. I will be giving up something important to me. Maybe I'll be giving up on a relationship. Maybe I'll be giving up on a career. Maybe I'll be giving up on my reputation. I don't know, but there's a great sacrifice in me obeying God at this moment. Can we obey God when that will mean a different path than the one that you want to go down? Let's look at verse 11. Abraham has the knife ready to slay his son, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So there are two answers to the questions prompted by this story, prompted by this story, uh, first answer is this: God has infinite vision and sees something that you don't. God simply knows how He's going to provide for you; He just does, and we can't see that clearly. But God sees it with crystal clarity. You can trust Him. And Abraham gave gave Isaac this great faith declaration in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. It says uh, that Abraham answered his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, that word provide, it's interesting. You, You see it throughout the Old Testament. And frequently it is translated as to see. Seeing with your eyes, because um, the root of that Hebrew word is it's to see, to see something. There's a great connection between providing and to see. We we, we see it most clearly in our word provision, pro and vision. God sees how He's going to provide. Abraham can't see how He's going to. Provide, But he trusts that God does see that with crystal clarity. I mean, I I can't think of anything Abraham would be um, looking forward with more anticipation than growing up with his son Isaac. Um, God had called Abraham years before this, leave your homeland, leave your family, leave your way of life. Go to land I will show you. God, in a sense, was telling Abraham, burn all the bridges to your past. And now he's saying, I want you to sacrifice this one son of yours. Abraham was looking forward to, as he was leaving his homeland, burning these bridges to his past, well, at least I have this future in my son. Sidney Graydanus. Puts it like this. Now God asks him to burn the only bridge ahead of him. God, what are you doing? I know Abraham couldn't see clearly what God was doing. There's no way. So when your vision is cloudy, you can trust God sees something. You know, when you've been turned down for that job, you can trust that God sees the better job opportunity that is down the road that you can't see right now. When you're having to make new priorities in life because of changes and those priorities are they're different. They're difficult. You can trust that God, even and you don't see why or what the benefit will be, you can trust that God sees the benefit that will come to you down the road. When you're just trying to hang on in the moment, you can trust that God sees the grace that he will give to you to make it through the moment. So you can trust God's vision. And the second answer is this. God knows how he will use your obedience our obedience matters. When the heat is on and the decision to obey is difficult, your obedience matters. When we step in faith, God will use that in a powerful way. We often can't see how God will use our obedient steps, but God does, and he knows how he will use our steps of obedience. I want, I want us to look ahead to verse 16, and I want, let's, let's see this. How did God use Abraham's obedience? Verse 16. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. There's a great blessing that we received through Abraham's Obedience. What is that? Abraham gave what was most precious to him out of devotion to the Lord. Look back to verse 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's interesting. This is the very first time in the Bible that the Hebrew word love appears. Not in the English, but in the Hebrew. It's the first time we see that word love appear. God, When God wanted to introduce the, the idea of love in the scriptures, this is the story that he uses. When God wants to begin showing us what it means to love, he uses this story of great love and the willingness to make a great sacrifice. Because don't you see that this story is the sign of a much greater love, an even greater love than this. You see, the only other time that Moriah is mentioned in the Bible is when it's said a little bit later that Solomon built the Jewish temple, the Hebrew temple, on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God tells Abraham, I want you to go right to this mountain. I'll show it to you. And he leads into the mountain that Jerusalem would be built on. And something else happened at Moriah. And it was there in Jerusalem that God made the ultimate provision for us. God knew our sins, and he knew how our sinfulness only leads to death and separation from God, and he knows that there's absolutely nothing we can do on our own to mend this broken relationship with God. And so God began his plan to rescue us from our sins at Moriah. And just as Abraham loaded the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, the cross was laid on Jesus' shoulders to carry as he ascended the hill to his crucifixion. And God did stop the knife from slaying Abraham's son, Isaac. God did not stop the spikes from nailing his son, his only son, whom he loved on the cross. And with Jesus, there was not a final reprieve. There was not a verse 11 for Jesus at that moment. There wasn't a voice from heaven halting the sacrifice. This time, the story with Jesus, it had a different ending. And God gives the ultimate tragedy to himself. God is the one who inflicts all the sorrow on himself. And this time with Jesus, the son does die. God brings all of that on himself. And he wants to show us a few things, I think, in that. One, Just some assurances that we see from this story from Genesis 22. One, that God knows. God knows your pain. He knows it. He knows the agony of Abraham. He knows your agony. God doesn't sit by passively. He knows what it's like to lose what is precious. He knows and he holds you. So you can know that. I know that God restores. We see that in the story that God provided the sacrifice for Abraham, pointing to the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice he would provide for us. He opened up the way for us to be restored in our relationship with God. So Jesus experienced eternal pain. He he went through hell Jesus did that so he could ensure that our temporary pain would just be that be temporary. That sorrow in life would be temporary, that they would come to an end. And then three, we can know that God redeems. That God redeems our pain. And he uses it for something glorious. And we see in Jesus' crucifixion, with a crucifixion, there's always a resurrection to come. And in your life you may feel like something's being There, There seems to be a crucifixion going on here, Lord. And you can know that there always is a resurrection with God because God redeems our pain. God is the master at taking what is broken, taking awful situations, terrible, dreadful situations, and bringing about something new and beautiful. See, God has much clearer vision than we do. And I want you to think about right now, Where in my life do do I need to trust in God's greater vision? Because I can only see things clearly, and I probably won't be able to see things more clearly, God. I acknowledge that to you. But I trust in your crystal clear vision of the redemption, the renewal, that you will be bringing through this difficult thing that I'm going through. Will you bring that to God right now? In what situations of your life do you need to say, God, oh, God. I believe in you and I believe in your goodness. I believe in your goodness. I believe that you have a plan. Because God had a plan for his son Jesus to save this world, to save you, to rescue you, to redeem you. I encourage you just to bring that before, the Lord. I'm going to say a prayer and just bring... Bring your difficulty, bring your hurt, bring your fear. Bring your blindness before God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we we know this world is not easy. It was not easy for your son, Jesus. And yet you love this world. You're delighted with our lives You're delighted with the life that you bring to us, the new day that you bring to us each and every day. Because you get to walk with us and we get to walk with you. And you get us through the difficult journey, the difficult moments. And you bring about a redemption. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because Jesus was willing to, to lay down his life to absorb ultimate evil to allow evil to inflict on him its worst, and he rose from the dead, and he's our victor. Lord, this this morning, whatever fears we're bringing before you now, we pray that you would help us to stand in victory, stand in victory because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Lord, we love you. Give us courage. Give us faith and give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.